the Bible reading can be found in uh, the, book, the first Bible reading in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 23, verse 16 to 32. That is on page 553. So chapter 23, and we're reading from verse 16 to 32. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swelling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord? And not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who is my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another's words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare the Lord, and yet declare, the Lord declares, indeed I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. The New Testament reading is uh, the book of Titus, and we're reading chapter 1, verse 10 to 16, and it's on page 844. So chapter 1, verse 10 to 16. For there are many, many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure... All things are pure, 
But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Thanks, Cedric. Good evening. Welcome to church. My name is Paul. If you haven't met, um, here at Church by the Bridge, we, we work through books of the Bible. Um, and often you get to a bit of scripture which is uh, quite hard to teach. And tonight's uh, passage is that. It's hard to teach. Uh, I pray that tonight's sermon would be received uh, with humility. I pray that I would speak uh, graciously and not unfairly or harshly. Uh, I pray most of all that I speak truth and speak it in a way that uh, honors Jesus. Uh, Because we're looking at a topic tonight which we rarely talk about. Uh, In society, we never discuss it really. Churches either don't do it at all or do it really badly. People have been either severely damaged by it or they're just arrogantly proud because they do it. Uh, and I'm talking about the topic of, of discipline, of confronting error, of saying the hard things against false teachers. See, I think in churches we are good at, at spotting things that we don't like. You know, we talk about the music, we talk about the food and the lighting and the fellowship and all these peripheral things that we're good at finding fault with. But when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to truth, my fear is that we shy away from confronting error or saying the hard things. So what do you do with a church where week after week after week they consistently teach things that are not found in the scriptures? What would you do with that church? What would you say? I think of this church a few years ago there was a connect leader who was really pushing the baptism agenda. Teaching in the connect group that yeah, you're saved by faith in Christ, but you must also be baptized by a certain method. What would you say to that person? What would you do in that situation? Uh, just last year here in this congregation at 6.30, uh, there are a group of people who are getting together regularly to talk about the emergent church. Reading papers, listening to teaching, saying we must be emergent. To be a true church, you must be an emergent church. What would you say to those people? How would you deal with them? What about the, the churches around Sydney and around the world where crowds gather every week and they hear a message that you can do anything, you can do anything for God if you have enough faith? I sat in the congregation last year and told I could be a barrier breaker. I could break through any barrier in my life if I had enough faith. What would you say to those people? What would you say to a church, perhaps this church, that very subtly says that you must do things to be saved? You must go to church. You must be in a connect group. 
you must tithe. You must serve. You must feel a certain way when you gather together. They're all good things to do, but, but when you start to say that those things that we do somehow earn you your salvation and earn you your righteousness, you're distorting the gospel of grace. What would you say to those churches? Tonight's talk is a hard talk to give, but it's an important talk because churches around Sydney and around the world are full of people who are being led astray, are full of people who leave every week thinking they are right with God because of something they have done, thinking they're right with God because of something that they must do that week, thinking that if they just do something that God will love them more deeply or thinking that they can achieve anything for God if they pray hard enough or have enough faith. Now, listen very, very carefully. I am not, I am not attacking any one church. I'm not speaking against Hillsong or, or CCC or the Baptist Church or the Anglican Church. I'm just speaking against churches in general that teach anything that distorts a gospel of grace. If you don't understand grace... Uh, Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, uh, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who gave himself for us. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. And that is grace. Grace is when God sees you in your selfishness and your arrogance and your pride. God sees you in your sin. And then he looks at his son, hanging on a tree, hanging on a cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago, shouting the words, it is finished, with blood pouring from his head. He sees his son and says, My son paid for your sins. My son took my wrath on his shoulders. I redeemed you at a cost. I bought you at a cost. It cost you my son. That's how much I love you. Please don't think you can earn my love. Look at the cross. That is grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor. It's the grace, according to verse 11, has saved you. It's the grace, according to verse 12, that you live by, it teaches you to say no. We live by grace, we're saved by grace. The Christian life is all about grace. And so friends, when any church or when any preacher or any leader adds anything to grace, saying that you must do this, you must serve, you must do this, when they say your salvation is dependent on doing things, the damage is massive. Because we have people who have false assurance. Or we have people who are despondent because they feel a failure. Or we have people who are proud because they think they've done things for God. We must speak out. So why do you find it hard to confront false teaching? Why do you find it hard to confront error? I think it's because deep down, uh, every single one of us wants to be liked. (laughs) We want to be popular, so saying the hard things won't make you popular. And so we don't say it. Or we don't say the hard things because the, bud, the buzzword of our society is the word tolerant. 
and it seemed to be intolerant to correct wrong teaching. Or we don't speak out because we appear to be judgmental. Or society tells us that you, know, you must have a, a deep friendship with somebody before you say anything hard to them. Or perhaps we don't speak out because no one's really modeled to us how to confront error. And I can understand all those reasons. But if we love Jesus, if we really love Jesus and we love people, then we will confront in a a gracious, humble way, in a loving way that seeks to bring these people back into a gospel of grace. And I'm teaching this tonight because I want to train us to be discerning. Discerning about who we listen to in a world full of podcasts and, and global church. You know, you can listen to anybody. How do you know that the person who is preaching is teaching the truth? Will you listen with, with discerning ears saying, is this distorting the gospel of grace? You can walk into the bookshop in West Ride called Kurong, and there's shelves full of books claiming to be Christian books. How do you know what they say is truth? And my fear is that we're not discerning. We'll just listen to anybody and anything. And I pray tonight's talk would help you to be discerning. And I do pray tonight's talk would help you to to know how best to lovingly correct people. But I also pray that we look at our own church, look at this church and say, you know, are we distorting the gospel of grace? Where are we missing the mark? How do we need to change? So I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Father, I want to thank you that your word contains things which are hard to teach and hard to hear, and yet we need to hear them because you've left them in your word for us. Father, I pray that my words tonight would be truthful. If I speak words of error, Lord, please stop us from hearing them. And Lord, for those of us who need uh, to confront friends or family or other teachers, help us to know how best to do that. Lord, we ask this because we want to to know you better and to love Jesus more. We ask it in his name's sake. Amen. The situation in in Titus is this. Uh, Paul has left Titus on the island of Crete. Uh, Crete's an island to the southeast of Greece. He's been left there, according to chapter 1, verse 5, to appoint elders, elders in every town. These elders are to be men who are gripped by the grace of God. They're servants of God, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. They're slaves of God. They're committed to serving God. And according to verses 5 to 9, they are growing in godliness. They're not overbearing, verse 7. They're not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, They're hospitable, they love what's good, they're self-controlled, they're upright, they're holy, they're disciplined. Uh, They're people, if you want, who who, who know Jesus more and more. Uh, Their lives uh, mimic in some way or strive to be like the greatest servant leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're people who love the truth. So chapter 1, verse 1, a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. They long to know what is true. They, they devour the word. They say, is this what God says? And one of the reasons that we need teachers like this is down in verse 9. So they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
Because apparently in Crete there were many people who opposed the truth and many people who taught errors. And I'm not talking about uh, your atheists, you know, people like the Richard Dawkins who are the bestsellers. I'm sure there were those kind of guys in Crete. I'm not talking about your the people who just hate the church on their political agendas. I'm talking about people who are inside the church, who sit in churches, who sing the songs, who maybe stand at the front and open the Bible and teach, but they don't teach people towards Jesus. They don't teach the truth of Christ crucified and the gospel of grace. And so Paul is writing to Titus to tell him how to, how to handle these kind of teachers. I'll give you three C's tonight. The first one is this, uh, the character the character of the false teachers. What do they look like? Uh, verse 10. Uh, for there are many, look at that word many, there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. And they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. What are they like? Look at that word rebellious, verse 10. Uh, the word rebellious literally means uh, insubordinate or disobedient. They, they hate authority. Uh, they're their own people. They don't like authority or hierarchy. They don't like other people telling them what to do. They just make their own decisions and impose it on other people. Uh, they're arrogant. They're proud. They're self-sufficient kind of men. They're not your servants of God. They're not your humble servants of God. But I love the phrase in verse 10, they are mere talkers. That there, there are many rebellious people, mere talkers. They're talkers. They're great orators. They have real skill in public speaking. They can hold an audience in the palm of their hand. They, they know where people are, are itching and they scratch where the people are itching. When it comes to public speaking, you know, the pace, the pause, the pitch is all spot on. And people love listening to them. We love a good speaker. But look at that first word. They are mere talkers. What does that word mere imply? Tell me. If someone's a mere talker. It's all they do. It's just, just talk. Yeah. The literal word is empty talkers. Yeah, they talk a lot. But the content is, it doesn't give you any substance. They talk a lot, but what they say doesn't grow people. It's just talk. It's empty talk. There's not a lot of value to what they say. It doesn't transform lives. Now, here's the scary thing. These people sound good. They have great skill. They have great ability. But they're not preaching Christ crucified and Christ alone, and faith alone, and grace alone, and scripture alone. And friends, tons of speakers are like that. Offering convincing messages that claim to change lives, but it's just empty talk. Churches are full of people who've been offered false hope. Because there's no grace and there's no Christ. And look at the motives. Verse 11, end of verse 11. That for the sake of what? Of dishonest gain. Of dishonest gain. If you can see into their brains, what makes them tick is not truth, it's not godliness, it's not God's honor, it's just self. And here's the, the hard one about this, is that there's a hint of this in each one of us, isn't there? 
that we like, we like things for us. When we meet somebody, one of the first things we think is, what can they offer me? What can they do for me? And these are preachers or teachers who are always thinking, what can I say to this crowd that would benefit me? Make me more popular. Earn me more money. Get me the use of a holiday house or me the use of a, of a car. And I'll teach to these people so they will love me and I can gain from it. Such a hard one. I've had to ask myself this week, do I teach things or, or go to places where I will be rewarded most? Or do I just humbly and quietly just keep on preaching Christ crucified? But here's a really scary one. They're just worldly. Look at verse 12. Even one of their own prophets is a guy, probably a guy called Epimendes, who lived about 600 BC. Uh, One of their own prophets described them as, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. It's not particularly flattering, is it? To be described as a, a liar, an evil brute, and a lazy glutton. Uh, to be described as a liar means that you can't trust what you say. There's no truth in what you say. An evil brute is somebody who's overbearing and who's a bully. Uh, a lazy glutton is somebody who's just in it for themselves. And Paul is saying that the, the preachers or the teachers, the false teachers, they're just like the rest of Crete. When you, when you scratch beneath the surface, uh, these people, uh, their lives are no different from the other people in Crete. You would never know that, the, that they've been transformed by the gospel of grace because their character is so worldly and I reckon that's the key litmus test do the people who preach in church do the leaders in church are their lives different from the rest of the world and I think that's one of the problems of just getting your teaching from podcasting or from conferences because you don't know the lives of the people that are teaching you. Anyone can be trained to be a great speaker. But are their lives transformed by the gospel of grace? Because these men, verse 16, they claim to know God. They claim to confess to know God. That they put themselves forward as people who, who love God. But verse 16, by their actions, they deny him. By what they do, they deny him. Look at the way that they love their wives and raise their kids and relate to people. Look at the way that these teachers handle disappointment or the way that they speak or the way they use their money and look and say, are they different from the world? Because according to verse 16, these people are detestable, disobedient and incapable of doing anything good. And that sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds really harsh. But these people are leading people away from Jesus. What are they teaching? What's the content? Verse 11. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. There you go. (laughs) That's the content. They're teaching things they ought not to teach. Do you find that frustrating? Do you find it frustrating that Paul doesn't tell you exactly what they taught them. I find it really refreshing. I find it refreshing because it stops you and I having this 
tight, neat, false doctrine box where we just list all the things, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He's not care, doesn't, he doesn't care about the specifics of this particular thing. What he's really concerned about is the overall thing that they're doing wrong. And the overall thing they're doing wrong is this. Listen very carefully. These people are teaching a message of grace plus. Grace plus something. So look, look at the people in Crete, verse 10. Uh, they are the people of this circumcision group, according to the end of verse 10. They're mentioned in Acts 10 and in Galatians 2 as well. They are, they're, they're Jewish converts. They've heard the gospel. They claim to have faith in Jesus, but they've added something. They say, you're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must be circumcised. You're saved by God's grace, plus you must observe this festival, this feast. You're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must abstain from eating certain foods. You're saved by faith in Jesus, plus you must memorize scripture, and you you must follow this Jewish rule and this Jewish law, and you must fast, and your assurance, uh, your righteousness, is it comes from the things that you do, not just from faith in Christ alone. Do you understand me? Gospel plus grace plus. It's there again in verse 14. Uh, he prays that they would be rebuked so that they would not pay attention to Jewish myths, to Jewish stories, or to the commands of those who reject the truth. The commands of men, the laws of men, the rules of men. It's the same phrase that, that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 7 when the Pharisees come to him to talk about what's clean and what's unclean. He says, stop following the rules of men. If you're in Christ, all things are clean. Gospel plus or grace plus teaching is so prevalent in our churches. Don't believe me? Try this. I am accepted by God because. I'm accepted by God because... I have faith in Christ and I come to church. I'm accepted by God because I go to my connect group. I'm accepted by God because I serve on this team at church. I'm accepted by God because I read my Bible. I'm accepted by God because I pray. I'm accepted by God because I fast. I'm accepted by God because I do these things. Why are you accepted by God? On what basis are you counted righteous in the eyes of a holy God? On what basis? Christ and grace and grace alone. And we very, very subtly introduce things that we must do in order to be right with God. And that is called grace plus teaching. Because I don't sleep around, God accepts me. Because I don't get drunk, God accepts me. Because I don't swear, God accepts me. All these things are good things and right things to strive to do, but they don't earn us your salvation. And if you haven't grasped that, then you'll go through life striving, striving, and striving, thinking that you can do, 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 do things to make God love you more. Why is this so dangerous? 
Because grace plus teaching leads to churches full of two kinds of people. You've got people who are very proud. Proud Christian people. Hey, I've done so much for God. I'm so much better than that person over there because I serve so much. I'm here all the time. I, I come to morning church and to evening church and I do kids church and I lead a connect group and hey, I'm somebody and God must love me. That's arrogant and that's proud. Or churches are full of disappointed and despondent people because all they hear is that they can never do enough for God and they're weighed down with the guilt and they're burdened and they're heavy laden thinking I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this and churches are full of those kind of people as well and when you add anything to grace it leads to pride or to despair And friends, we need to see Jesus. We need to see his death, his sacrificial death. We need to see what it cost him. We want to see the depth of God's mercy and God's love for you. And you need to understand grace. Because if you don't understand grace, you'll go through life thinking that either you're somebody or that you're a nobody. And you'll never understand how much God really, really loves you. And you'll come to church every week and you'll leave here thinking you've got to do things and do things to earn that love. And you know, I think for the first maybe five years of my ministry, I preached very legalistically. Telling people what they must do. And you know why? Because it's easy to preach that. People like being told what to do. People like being told things they can do to make them feel good about themselves and make them feel good with God. But to preach grace, it's the same message week in, week out, isn't it? But it's the most glorious message in the world. That God has loved you enough to send his son to die for you and there's nothing you can do to, love him, to make him love you more and nothing you can do to make him love you less. We must, must speak out against churches and against people who add to the gospel of grace. Because it's it's destroying lives and destroying souls and bringing dishonor to Jesus. There's a guy in this church who came to Christ a few years ago and he was living with his girlfriend and came to a course called Jesus and found Jesus and God's gospel of grace grabbed hold of him. But he struggled. He struggled to live differently and struggled to live the Christian life. And he would come and see me regularly and you know, we'd pray together and he'd confess the ways he'd messed up. And in my stupidity, I gave him things to do to try and, you know, to try and conquer this particular sin or try and be sexually pure. And every time he'd come back and said, oh, I failed again, I failed again. And then I realized that I just need to show him Christ and just show him the glory of of the cross and the glory of grace. And that's the greatest motivation to live the Christian life. And that's what changed him. He said, you know, every time I was tempted to sin, I I realized that I was righteous and that Christ's righteousness has been sort of imputed onto him and he was covered in, in, in the blood of Jesus. And 
God saw me as righteous, and so I didn't want to sin. That's what transforms lives. Not telling people to do things. So, how do you confront them? How do you correct them? Let me give you a warning. What I'm about to say to our super tolerant ears will sound very harsh. Look at verse 11. They must be, what's the word there? They must be silenced. They must be silenced. Literally, the word is muzzled. The sort of a hand over the mouth. It's like the, you know, the child who's about to say something completely inappropriate. And you see the mum just go. He's going, yeah, you've got to shut these people up. Or, or verse 13, he says, rebuke them sharply. Challenge what they say. Expose the error. Show them that they're wrong. Stop them from teaching what they're teaching. And you're sitting there going, oh, Paul, that is so intolerant. What about Jesus who told you just to love people? Uh, it's not intolerant. i tell you why Paul is so worked up. Paul loves people, and Paul loves Jesus, and Paul has been gripped by a gospel of grace. And so when he sees people being led astray, he must speak out, and he must correct. Because he says in verse 11, they are ruining or destroying whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. Whole homes, whole families are being confused. Husbands, wives, kids, all shifting away from Jesus, all consumed with legalism. Uh, whole households that lack grace. But I think more than that, in the early church, uh, the church would meet in homes. And so when he says whole households, I think he's saying whole churches. These people are ruining whole churches. People are gathering, people are sitting, people are singing, people are coming to hear the word of God. But what they're hearing is leading them further and further and further away from God, and that is tragic. And when whole churches are being confused and burdened with no understanding of grace, Paul says you must speak out. He's so passionate about his saviour. He's so grabbed by Jesus that when the power of the cross is emptied of its power, by a gospel plus message, he must speak out. And if you love people, if you love Jesus, we will speak out. Lovingly, gently, but we will correct people. I was at the conference last year, and the preacher was preaching to thousands. He said something like this. There are many people here today whose family are not believers. And I want to encourage you that if you pray, and if you have enough faith, then I can guarantee that every one of your family will come to faith in Christ. Now that kind of teaching is burdensome. And it's wrong. And so I went up to the guy afterwards and asked to talk to him. He refused to talk to me. So I wrote him a letter. We must, must correct. Why? Look at verse, again at verse 13. Rebuke them sharply. Is that it? Just rebuke them sharply. We've done the job. Rebuke them sharply. So there. No, no. Rebuke them sharply. What? So that. So that they will be sound in the faith. That's the reason we rebuke. To point out the error. We want these false teachers to see Christ and to understand grace and to grasp the truth. And if your motivation for correcting people is all about you being seen to be 
the person who is right, then you know better than them. Your motivation for correcting people is that so they would see the truth and understand grace. How do you do it? How do you tell people the hard thing and correct error? I'll finish with this. You correct people the same way that, that your heavenly father corrects you. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about a father who loves his children so much that he disciplines them. He knows them so intimately and cares for them so deeply that he's willing to say the hard things and do the hard things. Gently, but in love. Firm when it needs to be, but knowing that it's for their good. And that must be our model. That we sit down with these people if they will let us, with the scriptures open, and we allow the word of God to, to show them the truth. And we gently and humbly and patiently show them Christ. And then we need more of the people of verses 5 to 9. We need more of the elders who are Christ-like, who, who know the truth, who teach the truth, who live the Christian life. Because when they, these people shine the true gospel into the darkness, then it does expose the error. We need to pray that, that, that God would raise up in this city uh, people who, who know the truth, who love the truth. Pray for the people at Moore College, SMBC and, and PTC. Uh, pray for leaders. They might not be the most eloquent speakers, They might not grow the most successful churches, but they will be people who love Jesus, who are striving to be godly and striving to teach the truth. And when they do that, it will expose the error. Tonight's talk is is a hard talk. And in many ways, I feel like apologizing for being hard. But I'm not going to because... God doesn't apologize for saying hard things. And if we really love people who are concerned for their salvation, if we really love Jesus and we're just so amazed at his amazing grace at at Calvary, then when you see it, you will speak out. But what about this church? What about us? Are we adding to the gospel of grace? Do you leave here each week feeling you have to do things to earn your salvation? I hope and pray not. I pray that God would make us into a church that teach the truth, that love the truth, that love grace, and therefore are willing to speak out when we see others and hear others speaking against it. Let me pray. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. Father, we thank you that you've shown us at Calvary that there's nothing that we can do to love you more and there's nothing that we can do to make you love us less. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, for those who have taught us over the years, those who first explained grace to us. We thank you, Father, for 
the people who continue to teach and preach grace into our lives week by week. Father, I ask for your forgiveness. Forgiveness for times where I haven't taught grace. Or for times I haven't taught the truth. And I pray that you would forgive me and cause people not to remember those things. Help us, Lord, please, to be discerning. Discerning as to what we listen to and what we read and who we listen to. But Lord, prevent us from being a church that is hypercritical and always playing uh, spot the false teacher. Lord, just help us to be a church that so knows the truth and so loves Jesus that when we do hear and see wrong teaching, that you would give us the, the skill, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness as we lovingly correct those people. Not for our sake, Lord, but for the sake of your Son, for his glory, and I pray in his name.